It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. What about the things that, that matter, the economy, uh, safety? Think about all the things that really, really matter to us on a, on a, in a daily basis. Kitchen table issues uh, for all Americans. One of those is safety. Safe communities, the ability to go out and and live your life, go to work. But high crime levels spike in not single-digit percentages, but double-digit percentages. And the types of crimes that are becoming more prevalent, uh, robberies are one of the areas that is often uh, the most indicative of a future problem with a greater level of criminality in, in many of America's cities. Uh, they escalate. They have circumstances that lead to further assaults, uh, to fatalities. And, and that is often tracked in what's called the ComStat reports. Many of you know that. But again, these are the things we need to pay attention to. So high crime. 2022, the reasons and what's needed. Bob Woodson, founder and president of the Woodson Center, a former civil rights activist, I would say a current civil rights activist fighting for our civil rights, joins me now. Bob, great to have you back on the show. Uh, Pleased to be here. So let's talk about where we are now. And I use robberies, for example, Bob, and in the data, the studies and the statistics, that's one of the key indicators of a not just a growing, but a problem that will be uh, only resolved over a longer term. So with high crime levels in 2022, what are some of the areas you think are the most uh, dangerous for these communities? Well, first of all, I think we need to um, uh, 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 identify what the problem is not, and that it is not as some progressives would like to claim that the, the, the chaos that we're witnessing in our cities is a legacy of slavery and discrimination and the accumulative effect of injustice in America. That is just not true. I was born during the Depression uh, when racism was enshrined in law, and yet I never heard a gun fired throughout my, my entire early life, never heard of an elderly person, never heard of these kind of problems existing. So these are, 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 are problems associated uh, with conditions over the last 30 to 40 years. And so I think that's important to establish that. Um, but, uh, the, but nothing is, uh, a lot of what we're witnessing today has come about over the last 20 years, beginning with, with the Freddie Gray case in Baltimore uh, when uh, he was killed in police custody and there was rioting. And that's when the black elected officials in Baltimore chose to throw the police under the bus. And we saw the beginning of police nullification, um, even though a majority of the police were black in a black run city to explain why this decay occurred on their watch, they threw the police under the bus. And what we witness all over the country is police nullification, where they're being vilified, assaulted, and as a consequence, they are less aggressive in enforcing the laws in high crime areas. And you saw an immediate jump in violent crimes throughout this country in communities where the police were less aggressive as a consequence of nullification. So let's just establish that as the cause of it, part of it. 
Well, and, and to your point, and uh, in Baltimore specifically, uh, police officers, chiefs came to me, other higher level officials rather, came to me and, and explained and then showed it to me where Stephanie Rollins, Blake at the time and other officials were basically making deals to make things look good, including deals with gang leaders. So th- this is this has got to be laid out for what it is. These city officials, whether directly or indirectly, are enabling the leaders to continue their illegal business, which is supported by various levels and types of crime, whether it be drugs, sex trafficking, outright robbery and sale of products and goods from people or stores or otherwise. But now others pay the price. And it's not just about the person that's robbed, because business, whether it's a landlord, a business, uh, an actual business, a store in some form, pay a price. So what are the effects, the combined effects on the community? Well, first of all, it is, I'll take one city like Cincinnati during that time that when a a white police officer shot a black uh, young man and uh, social justice warriors and black officials, civil rights, organized a boycott. And so police nullification, but the violence went up 800% in low-income black community in Cincinnati, but not in the communities where the civil rights leaders live or the black uh, uh, pastors who led this demonstration. And, and see, a lot of these people are advocating policies, but they don't have to suffer the consequence of these advocacy. These uh, liberal uh, and, and, and permissive prosecutors that are catch and release in, because of disparities in arrests and incarcerations, so that any evidence of disparity where uh, they say it's attributed to racism and therefore to mitigate that, what they do is release people. But again, these same um, uh, small number of people that commit most of the crimes are released back into those communities, but it is not in the communities where these elected officials live. It's always in the low-income communities and that they justify. So who is on the other another end of this is a question bob that i want to ask you uh for instance theft has to have an outlet let's say you know whether uh robbing a store or we're seeing an increased level of targeted crimes to acquire goods that can then be sold in some form on that end where it's being sold, is there more apparent a picture now of where it's being sold, to whom it's being sold? Let's face it, poor people aren't buying Rolexes. No, they're not. But also when you, when you advertise this as being that when, when public officials in the name of Black Lives Matter say that, that even looting is a form of reparations, and this isn't challenged publicly. Solutions. You, you have in your entire career, and I love watching you lay out what needs to be done. And I think at this point, the question that goes along with solutions is also what, if anything, with any great effect, can the average person do? Because as you point out, the leaders are part of the problem in many of these cities. Well, what we have found to work is that the Woodson Center over the past 25 years has gone into some of these crime-ridden neighborhoods, and we have identified healing agents. These are 
people in there that were who were former predators who through God's grace have become ambassadors of peace. For instance, uh, 25 years ago in the uh, Benning Terrace area of Washington, D.C., there were 53 gang murders in the five square block area in two, in, in two years. We identified five young men uh, who were ex-offenders who were healing agents, and they went into that troubled community and brought just 16 of these young leaders, eight on either side to my office, and they negotiated a gang truce. And these same young men who were preying on the community went back to restore it. And as a consequence, they began to reach out to all the young people and with the consequence that we didn't have a single gang murder for 12 years in that community. And, and we have, ex, and we have ex, extract, extracted from this experience what are the principles that work. And then we've planted them uh, in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where for the past 20 years, some of these uh, solutions have been embedded in schools and communities with the same result that young people have been redirected, but it is a moral, uh, a moral uh, authority of these indigenous leaders that we need to be funding and supporting so that the healing can occur from within the communities. What these kids need are surrogate fathers. And they need, the, the, but the direction has to come from within. When we are constantly saying to the low-income black community that, that your fate is not in your own hands, that somehow white racism is the cause of your problems, we exempt them from any personal responsibility. And as a consequence, they conclude, well, if I'm not responsible for my misdeeds, then perhaps I am unworthy of, of being uh, uh, responsible. And so I think some of the, these black-on-black -black crimes are self-hate crimes. The self-hate has, which means that the change has to come from within the community suffering the problem. And there's where we meet, meet, need to be making investments. Um, and, and, so what, and so we've gotten people to invest. We had one group, the Alliance Concerned Men, last summer, uh, for 100 days, as a result of applying these healing approaches from within, we didn't have a single violent incident in one of the most violent neighborhoods in Washington, D.C. Not a single incident because of these people with moral authority uh, promoting personal responsibility. But you would think that with this success, it would be front page news and everybody would rush in to see how it happened and how can we spread that? But it never happened. Well, isn't there also an element, and I want to keep going on solutions and go to something you and I have talked about before, which is the voices of black mothers united, because you mentioned the father, the father figure in the home, but also those who benefit from the deconstruction and destruction of the community are the progressive failures. They're not leaders, they're progressive failures. When you look at commonalities in many of these areas around the country, it is progressive leadership and a combination of an uneducated, a 
destructed or deconstructed community uh, benefits them because they maintain their power while showing little or no care for what happens to the people within their cities, districts, or whatever the boundary may be. So is there an incentive for them, which seems obvious to me, but I'll let you weigh in on it in your own way, an incentive for these People like a Stephanie Rollins Blake in Baltimore and Alvin Bragg or Eric Adams in New York City, a uh, Lori Lightfoot, uh, Chase, well, formerly Chase of Bean, now uh, Brooke in uh, the other DA or Gaston in L.A. Is there an incentive for them to have the problem stay or grow bigger? I call them black robber barons. <laughs> They profit, they, they have a perverse incentive to profit from the problems. But what they do is they use race as both a shield and a spear. They use race to shield them from any personal responsibility for the policies that they've implemented that has resulted in the destruction of the families or the, 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 the exempting people from personal responsibility and they also use it as a spear of anybody who challenges their uh, their actions. The very fact that that police nullification um, has resulted in um, a crisis in re- police recruiting. Sixty percent of the police departments are undermanned, and therefore they can't recruit. So that in some communities, a 911 call takes the police about 30 minutes to respond. And again, the, 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 the crisis is not in communities where Lori Lightfoot and these other leaders live. Let's and, and talk so about. It, it is important oh, for sorry. Us go to ahead, Bob. That. Let's talk about your other effort. And some time ago, you and I spoke about this, uh, the Voices of Black Mothers United. Earlier, you talked about the lack of a a father figure, a male figure. You know, it takes a man to raise a boy to be a a better man uh, is an old rule that I believe in. But, you know, in the community also, there is a strength from the mothers. Uh, The effort with Voices of Black Mothers United so far. What we've done is uh, Sylvia Bennett Stone is a, lost her 16-year-old daughter to murder in Birmingham, Alabama, and she turned her parent pain into purpose. Sylvia is now working with us as coordinating this Voices of Black Mothers United, and what she has done is provided a place where moms who lost children to homicide can come. We have now chapters in about seven cities, and about thousands of moms have joined in the effort to bring about not only aid and comfort to mothers who lost children, but also engage in prevention. In five cities, we have mothers who actually been hired by the homicide departments to um, come on the site of a homicide to build bridges between the police and the community. And as a result, there's trust built. We've been able to close more homicide cases in cities where moms were involved. We're also um, taking out a full-page ad in USA Today promoting the police. Eighty percent of blacks surveyed are against defund the police. They want more police. And so we have had uh, um, 150, the moms had 150 uh, children uh, in high schools throughout this country uh, during uh, Victims Week. 
uh, take pleasures of no violence. Uh, and they're engaging in other preventive efforts around the country uh, to, to encourage communities to cooperate with the police and engage in actions to prevent uh, violence. Uh, and it's, it's very exciting. We just had a retreat where we had 18 of these moms for three days come together for, for, um, for mutual aid and comfort and to inspire them to reach out to others. Um, and, and so it's just very encouraging. Uh, we're, we're building alliances with communities and these moms are, are, are to be celebrated. There's an example, and it's backed by some numbers, Bob, that I've seen recently. And it, Philadelphia is this, uh, this example. In Philadelphia, according to the school district's own numbers, uh, 63% of black parents have taken their kids out of the public schools because of a failed education system and moved them into predominantly what are referred to as black charter schools, black run charter schools, giving them a chance at a better education. You and I have talked about this before. Education is key to opening a young person's eyes to see another option besides stealing and selling you know, expensive sneakers or drugs or some other something else or committing a crime, selling a little marijuana, whatever the case may be. And what we just talked about with uh, we need to get fathers back involved. If it's a blended family and a senior male figure uh, with the voices of black mothers. But now parents, black parents in Philadelphia making a choice that gives their kids a chance at a better outlook on life. Uh, do you see other efforts out there? And I think from my observation, it would be key to have education as a part of this, as you have also focused on at the Woodson Center. Yeah, absolutely. There is just a, a Ian Rowe, my, my colleague in, in the South Bronx, runs a series of, uh, of, of charter schools just opened an, uh, a, 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 an academy there. The, and the waiting lists in all of these uh, charter schools and choice schools are lengthy. Parents are desperate to provide a decent education for their children, but they are opposed by the teachers' unions who, who lobby against. It was very interesting in Washington, D.C., um, 25 years ago plus, when we were advocating for uh, charter schools and, and uh, a choice Eleanor Holmes Norton, Jesse Jackson, all of the civil rights leaders who opposed choice in education had all of their children as Sidwell friends. <laughs> and the even hypocrisy. the black president uh, withdrew his, cho- his children from the public school of which he was the superintendent and enrolled them in Sidwell friends while at the same time opposing low-income parents having the capacity to make the same kind of decisions for their children. So there is a real thirst on the part. But the other fine day that I find discouraging is when we discourage marriage. We don't we talk about uh, black fathers. We don't talk about black husbands. There's almost an accepted uh, mantra that somehow young black men are incapable of being husbands. And so therefore, uh, it's marriage is not discussed. 
No, that is a very important point and also false. It, you know, like any other community, the black community is not monolithic in its no. behavior. Many are upstanding, uh, middle class, suburban or urbane in some way. Uh, but, but again, this, this leads me back to these false I hate to use the term leaders, the Sharptons, Jacksons, Eleanor Holmes Norton is one. I won't say you're, you're a very respectable man. I'm a talk show host. I might say bad words, but I will not do that with you here, Bob. What I think of these people, because they literally prey uh, on a, on an entire community for their own benefit. And they take away what you're talking about also, which is there are so many positives out there. You know, like any other person, someone who's got a view, a better outlook on life, some education, looks for better, whether you're black, white, or some other hue of skin. But you're right. I mean, Eleanor and the rest of them, they have built their careers off of uh, of, um, of being the so-called advocates for the poor, but they profit. I mean, Al Sharpton uh, just saw the tax returns, his, his action network. He spent a million dollars in um, private jets. <laughs> he lives in a condominium of two million dollars that's secured by by armed guards. But he flies yeah. to areas of protest, but only where a black life is taken by a white person. So black lives matter only only when it's taken by someone white. But even though we've had over 50 children under the age of nine that have been murdered in these cities, but it does not uh, register as being a crisis. Right. It's not profitable. It's profitable to go to a church in Ferguson and lie. It's profitable to leave his 72nd Street, Upper West Side, $2 million condo and go to the office in Harlem. But then he goes back to his doorman condo while he pretends to be one of those he claims to serve. The hypocrisies are so obvious. And, and, and look, Bob, I could talk to you forever, but at some point we've got to hit pause in the show. Uh, but, but, you know, at some point, how, how I know you're putting out all these efforts and many are, but what does it look like to get through to the people in these neighborhoods, the next generation being raised in the same and previous generation of failed housing project, uh, bad situation or otherwise? I mean, are, are we making progress? Well, we're, what we're trying to do at the Woodson Center is to say to freedom-loving people who embrace the values of this nation, we want you, we're, we've set up a $50 million Joseph Fund so that some of the money that is spent in, on, on elections and whatnot, we need to invest in these Josephs in these communities that are in living lives that embody the virtues and values of the founders. And, and, and they should be our messengers. You see, I think we have the right policies, but we don't have the right messengers. These grassroots leaders, like the mothers, uh, that, uh, Voices of Black Mothers and United, we must embolden them, but also support them financially and politically, small p. But also, we must give them the microphone, let them speak uh, truth to these powerful people. Let the people that the, that, the, that the black politicians say they represent, let those people speak for themselves. 
and therefore it will withdraw the moral authority that these these phony leaders have. Yeah, phony leaders, the nicest words that could be used. Uh, but with a guest such as you, I'll not be as talk show host as I would like <laughs> to be, Bob. <laughs> I, I know you're no stranger to it, but I'm trying to maintain my, my anger, and that's not joking. This, it, it flat out pisses me well, off. Well, we got to turn this anger, and I, and I share that frustration with you, and, and I'm just counseled by the words of Mother Teresa. She said, God doesn't require success of me, just faithfulness. So sometimes we have to be faithful to what we believe and pray that he will deliver for us what we need to, to make a change in this in, in environment. And I believe that we are on the side of right, but, but we must get our side to invest in these neighborhood leaders, that we must, we must have some financial investment because money does speak, uh, confer authority and validation and uh, perhaps we should spend as much time and resources investing in these healing agents as we do in elections. I agree, my so. friend. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, Bob Woodson, founder and president of the Woodson Center at woodsoncenter.org. Uh, you have not stopped since day one, Bob, and I applaud your <laughs> efforts. Uh, we'll always be here to keep the, keep the message flowing. Well, God bless you, and thanks you for, for giving me this time. Thank you. Again, Bob Woodson, uh, go to woodsoncenter.org. Uh, the Black Mothers United effort is one of those significant efforts. Uh, let's find solutions. It's not coming from those purported leaders. Join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon East on Sirius XM Patriot 125.